So now, if you've got your version app, I was just talking to somebody this week that uh, anybody that's on a smartphone, I'm assuming, if you're looking at your phone, I'm assuming, man, you are clicked into the notes, you are tracking with me, you're on there, that you're not playing words with friends or, or checking your Facebook or any of that, that you're with me. So if you have a smartphone and has uh, uh, internet, then you can follow us on version. And but if you don't, we pass out the bulletin, it's the exact same notes. Uh, so we're going to get into the third part of this series that we've just called Upgrade. Uh, because we, we come to God and we're, we're busted, we're broken. And if you don't recognize that, um, there, there's, some, there's some things the Holy Spirit needs to reveal to you. Um, that, that's why we say yes to Jesus, because we recognize, man, our lives are messed up and we can't do much on our own about it. And we need a God who's going to come in and change us from the inside out. And he accepts us right where we are. It's not this little line like here in the middle and we've got to do all of this. And God says, all right, get here and I'll be cool with you and I'll accept you. No, he accepts us right where we are. It then loves us so much that he then, he does the transformation process and begins to upgrade different pieces of our lives. He begins to do that. It's like a, a resto mod type deal. We were in um, San Antonio this week, and I love old classic cars. I just love them. I honestly, I tell people all the time, I would drive a 1968 two-door anything. Mustang's top of the list. Mustang's top of the list. But I'd drive a Charger. I'd drive a Camaro. I'd drive a Malibu Chevelle. I drive at 1968 two-door anything. GTO, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I mean, it's just like the pinnacle of car design. It was just perfect. And um, so we're there. We're waiting on Cutie. We see a cool car across the street. We have this thing where me and the kids drive around, and we look, well, this, said, Dad, what kind of car is this? So we, we come over, and we look, and we see, and here's this uh, old school, like a 1992 Acura NSX. Vanilla Ice Mobile. And so we go over there and we look at it. And then a little bit further along, there's this other cool car. Pretty soon we found our way and we've just meandered our way down the block. And there's this place that's got Shelby's and this, this 66 convertible vet with a 427. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> give me 30 minutes behind the wheel on one of those and you'll come do, give me bail money. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's just... I mean, just cars that just make me just drool. And then my kids noticed this flash of silver over in the corner. And here was sitting my favorite make and model. Uh, it was a Mustang, classic Mustang. Sweetly restored 65 convertible GT with a 289 four-barrel K-code engine, 271 horsepower. Woo! Get me going right now. And uh, it's just a beautiful car. And there were, but there was a few things. It was, it was taken back all the way back to the original. And honestly, I prefer a few upgrades. It had a little bit time. They put little sad, little skinny tires on cars back in 1965. What was up with that? We need some rubber to handle that horsepower. I mean, what was up with that? There needs some things that still, as great as it was, there still was some upgrades or something. You know, they honestly, thank goodness we have some power windows now. That's a good upgrade. We have a disc brakes all the way around. We have some smart things. We've got some airbags. We've got some different things. 
And my favorite cars on the planet is when somebody takes like a 1967 Mustang and then they put all the modern conveniences in it. And oh, it's like the best of all worlds ever. And I think there's just a place in heaven that I'm going to have some of those, like a garage. And, but these upgrades, and God wants to do that with our lives. He wants to bring these, these things into our lives. And it's so awesome that we get to call him ours, and, and he calls us his. And that is so fair, and he takes us right where we are. But if we will let him, if you will allow the discipleship process, that, that being a believer, a true believer, being committed to him really is, if you will let the Holy Spirit work in that, I'm telling you, there will not be an area of your life that goes untouched. There will not be an area of life that goes untouched. It just completely he upgrades. And that's what we're talking about. He transforms us. Because John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Folks, there is an enemy. He does have an agenda. He does want to take your story and wreck it. Destroy it. He has, a, he has a narrative that he wants to tell about your life if you will cooperate with him, and it ends in ugly. It just does. But there's another narrative that your creator has, the one that thought you up and wired you and built you. He has a narrative too, and we have to cooperate with that one. And that one is the rest of John 10.10. 10. It says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full in abundance, in, in just every area, just life shoved into every little part that it can be. We looked at the message translation, and the latter part of it in the message says, I came so they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Why? Because there are things he has for us. We, we don't even know we can ask for that on certain fronts. We don't even know that that's possible our family history says that just doesn't work with us that just doesn't happen for us those things maybe somebody else but not in our family no god has these incredible plans and and so many times we that thing begins to stir in us and we'll begin to hope a little bit and we'll begin to maybe see that maybe god has some and then fear comes in and just crushes it it just crushes it and just doesn't want us to dream and doesn't want us to believe that God can really do something different. And it, we just stop right there. And the truth is, the more that we know that God loves us, the truth is, is the less we are afraid. In this one, we're talking about more love and less fear. Because every upgrade has more and has less. There's more of something that's good. And there's less of the junk, there's less of the bugs, there's less of the, the, the things. And if we'll let God come in and work on our love, we'll find that a byproduct of love is being less fearful. Of genuinely operating in love, it pushes it out. It gets rid of fear. It, it begins to move it because we become aware. When we begin to know how much he loves us, we begin to have this acute awareness this awareness that he is present, that he is active and involved in our lives. And when we have that awareness that he's right there with us, this distant, far off, uncaring God, yeah, we'll kind of whatever, we'll do what we'll do. And who can know what he'll do anyway? So what's up with that? We, we can't even factor that into our lives. That's how most people see God. So they live as if he's not there. But when we understand there's there, it changes it changes the way we live. Years ago, we, um, our house 
was the garage was detached. And we, are, we had the, the garage was in the back, and we pulled up to the side of the house, and we'd park in the driveway, and then there was a, 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 the fence and your little bitty pathway and get up to the back door. Well, it was, it was dark in the backyard. So we'd unload all the kids, and uh, back in that phase of our life, we always had somebody in the car seat of some kind that we're digging out. We got all the other pieces, so Cutie and I are busy, and we send the ones that can walk, we send them up to the door. Well, Weston, for whatever reason, at some point, he, that was his playground, that was his backyard, was where he lived all the time, it was his place, he'd walked that path a gajillion times, been through there, but for whatever reason, he began to get fearful at night, and he would stop at that gate, and he wouldn't want to go in. And I was like, Weston, go to the door, go to the door, boy. And he's like, but Daddy, I'm Garrett. Daddy, I'm Garrett, I'm Garrett. I'm like, Weston, it's okay, there's no problem. Son, I'm right here. I'm right here at the door. I'm getting, I'm getting the rest of the stuff. Just go up to the door. All's cool. And so I'm sitting there doing that, and I hear him purposefully as he's making his little way up that pathway. He just begins to say, I'm not Gerd. I'm not Gerd. I'm not Gerd. And begins to just on purpose having a consciousness that dad was present and active, and right there, and even though these feelings of fear were still coming in, he was consciously choosing to be aware that dad was right there. And over a period of time, he didn't have to make that trek, saying, I'm not Garrett, very many times. And pretty soon, he was just, whoop, going back up to the door, no big thing. Because he had consciously connected with the fact that dad was there and present and active and loved him. He was not alone in the scary backyard. He was not alone in that place. First John 4.18 says, Therefore there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because... He first loved us. So here we are. Here's this place that that fear will not allow us to eventually be perfected in this place. Love comes in and as it perfects, it pushes out even fear. Like, okay, all right, guy. Um, I've, I've been tracking along since the first of the year. I've been doing this Bible reading thing. And we didn't get two days. We didn't get two days into the Bible reading and we would come across some stuff in Proverbs that talks about this fear of the Lord. Well, what about that one? What about this fear of God? How does that deal with perfect love? I think God is love, but you know, we're supposed to fear God. This, this begins to get this muddy mess. What do I, how do I deal with that? You know what? We're gonna, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Because sometimes we will want to, we want to grasp on and keep a, just a little bit of fear in our life. And think, you know what, that this is good and this is healthy. In fact, sadly, these movie theaters filled with all the time, that people crave it. Why would people crave it? Movies advertise the most terrifying movie ever made. I don't want to be filled with terror. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a whelp or something. I don't watch scary movies. I like suspenseful movies. Even the Bible's got a little bit of suspense and stuff in it. But I don't go to have some monster jump out at me scare me, throw my 
$50 popcorn up in the air. I don't want that. But for some reason, people crave it. There's like there's something that makes them feel alive in fear. And that's because, guess what? Fear is a a starting point. It's it's a place. And we're going to look at this. But first off, we need to understand this truth. We need to understand this truth. And we're going to grow out of this. That our God is an awesome God. He's awesome. We use that word, and since the 80s, we've thrown that word around, and that, that just means it's cool, or I, I like it a lot. I mean, this is awesome. And, and we've, but, but there is this, this thing with awe that has to do with this bigness, that something is greater than me, I can't control it, and I don't want to be on the wrong side of it. We don't hear it in the news as much anymore. It's kind of an old phrase that, that, that was popular in the 90s with our military. But we would go in and we would do this thing called shock and awe. Okay? In our word, we think of awe from the aspect of like a firework display. Ooh, that is so cool. That's awesome. I guarantee you where our military was doing was not that. And that shock and that awe that those people on the other side of the shock and awe treatment were not feeling that. What they went in and they would do is show such a display of power and authority to make everybody on the other side of that say, you know what, I don't want none of that. I'm done. I'm, 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 we're quitting. We, you obviously are way more powerful that what we can logically go up against, we're done. That is that sense of awe. That something is just so huge and so big. And when we think about things, we're going to go visit something like the Grand Canyon. Or we really begin to look into the, to the sky. And if you ever really looked into the sky at night where it's just full of stars. And start to, your legs start to wobble. Am I the only person that's ever done that? You begin to get the depths of that and the grandeur of it. And all of a sudden, you begin to get a little bit weak in the knees and go, oh my, like I could fall off the earth. Oh my gosh. That's like infinity right in front of me. And we walk under this cloud and these guys and we feel so safe. But when we begin to think about the bigness, all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is huge. This is a big deal. This is awesome. And so many times we want a God that fits in our pocket and is right there with us and is sweet and and, and we can go to him and he's cuddly like a teddy bear and God is loving and wonderful and he is that. And that's what we talk about all the time. But we cannot forget that our God is an awesome, big, powerful, creative God. I love the way that C.S. Lewis deals with it in the books of Narnia. He has Aslan, this big lion. And they begin to talk about, you know, is, is Aslan, is he, is he safe? So many times we, wanna, we want a safe God. No, you don't. You want a powerful God. You want a powerful God that's powerful and loves you with a passionate, jealous love, which he does. That's what you want. That desire for a hero, that's our heart cry for our God. And he says, no, he's not safe. But he's good. All right. I'm down with that. Our God is a good God. Now let's begin to look at some of these. Psalms 111. We're going to click through these next scriptures pretty quick. 
Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Now this is Hebrew. The Psalms were written in Hebrew. And it is this word, yirah. And it means fear. So it means fear, like terror, like knee-knocking, oh my goodness, terror. That, that's what that word means. But it also has in it reverence and awe. Just this greatness, this bigness, that oh my goodness. And this understanding that God is big and huge and you don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Not that he's angry at me, but that he's right. There's this definitive place of right and love and outside of that is wrong and destruction. I don't want to be, I want to be here. I want to be here. And understanding that is the beginning of wisdom. Recognizing the bigness and grandeur of God. That he is the definer of everything. That's where wisdom starts. You try to begin to make sense of everything outside of him. And you're going to end up in a place of foolishness. Understanding him is where wisdom begins. Proverbs 1.7 I said, we read it the second day we're doing our Bible reading. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9.10 says it all over again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, these rest of these scriptures, I want you to recognize this, okay? Notice that all of these words have the concept of being starting places. This is where we get rolling. This is where we get going. This is where things begin. Okay? That we've all put puzzles together at some point in our lives. Some of us may have not done it since we were three. We've all put puzzles together at some point in our lives. Cutie and I used to do some puzzles every once in a while. And it's just a great therapeutic thing to do and to talk and have to have something active. And anytime we get a puzzle, you dump out the pieces, you turn them all over. And the first thing we would look for, I think most people look for, is the corner. You find the corners. And guess what? The corner is a great place to start, but it's not the puzzle. And it doesn't give you the full picture. But it are the the perfect places to begin. That is what the fear of the Lord is. It is an aspect of the picture of God, His grandeur, His bigness. But it is not the fullness. And anybody who stops there will have an incomplete understanding of God. You just will. You won't understand how much He loves you and is for you. So let's look at this. It's the starting place. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord adds. It's the starting place. It adds length to life. But years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 15. The fear of the Lord teaches. Again, it's the beginning place. Teaches a man wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads. Points leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Isaiah, prophet in chapter 33 says we will be sure the found <coughs> he will be the sure foundation for your times a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge the fear of the lord is the key to this treasure it is that thing it is that thing that begins to unlock and yield that it's not the end result he's not getting us to this place of being in awe of him, we should start in this place of that. And it begins to grow and it unlocks this treasure. I want us to understand this. We're going to begin for the rest of this. We're going to define this. 
It says the fear of the Lord is an awareness that God exists and that he is involved in life. That's just that starting place. It doesn't even, have to def- it doesn't even necessarily define who God is and put a name on him. But it's this awareness that there is a God out there. People that, that pro- proclaim atheism, not, they're this place that they don't, they don't really think God's out there. So all of a sudden their decisions, there's no awe, there's no awesome, there's no, there's no thing. So their decisions are based and made with God not in the picture. Even take somebody to the next level and you get into this place of, of agnosticism. That okay, and maybe some of you are here today. Maybe you're, you're, you're curious and, and you showed up here today. And you're like, I'm, I'm not sure about this whole Christianity God thing. It's okay. It's a, you're, you're, you're moving towards that. And we're cool with that. But the problem with staying there is that, okay, I don't know if, who God really is. And if he's involved in our lives. And it keeps him at an arm's distance. And there it keeps us from this beginning place of wisdom. It just does. We have to recognize that he exists, that he's here, and that he's involved. Hebrews eleven six, without faith. For us, we say talk about knowing God, God better and trusting him more. That is our definition of living a life of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. If you're going to come to him, you have to believe he's actually there. That he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he is involved. That there are these repercussions. There are these different things that happen. There are these rewards. There are these consequences. There are things that come from interacting with God. Because if we just live this life of oblivion, then all of a sudden it it changes. And when we can understand that maybe somebody exists, but when we realize he's involved in our lives that he wants to be involved in our lives all of a sudden our reaction level heightens it goes up heard the story years ago of this lady who was gone skiing and she's skiing and she's getting on a ski lift and she happens to be what she considered to be the greatest robert redford fan on the planet she just loved robert redford love robert redford and she gets on this ski lift and she is sitting there, and this stranger comes in and does it, and it's a cold day. This guy's sitting there with this full ski mask on, and she's just visiting. And as she's talking through up the deal, she's like, I know, I recognize your voice. Who are you? And he's like, oh, you, I'm sure you don't know me. And so it goes on, she's like, no, 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 I, I, I'm sure I know you. And he's like, look, okay, just don't tell anybody. And he lifts up his ski masks, and it's Robert Redford. And all of a sudden, she knew about Robert Redford, but all of a sudden, he was involved in her life. And the story goes that she kind of spazzed out a little bit, and she fell off the ski lift (laughs) and broke her legs. But it changed her reaction. She said, oh, my gosh, Ah, he's right here. He's right here. All of a sudden, everything heightened, everything went up. When we recognize, yeah, it's one thing to say, yeah, God's cool, he's out there, but he's kind of far away, and I can kind of do whatever I want, and kind of, 
But when we recognize, no, he is right here and he's involved and he cares and he wants to actively be an active participant in your life. That's why Jesus said it's better that he go away and the Holy Spirit come so the Holy Spirit can abide and we have a present active God resident within us. How awesome is that? It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And we'll get into we'll get into trouble if we get out of these this awareness that God is present and he's active. Exodus 9:30. This is what takes place with the uh, with the Egyptians. And it says, "But I know that you and your officials, this is Moses talking, say still do not fear the Lord." They've already had some of the some of the plagues and some of the stuff that have come down, and if you will study out the the 10 plagues that come against Egypt, they are directly attacking different Egyptian gods. And here are these people of Israel. They have lived over 400 years in captivity. They have kept the, the traditions that were handed to them by, by uh, Jacob and, and Joseph and all of that lineage. But yet they've heard all this chatter for hundreds of years of this, the God of the Nile and this frog God and, and this, this God of the livestock and God of all of these different things, God of the darkness and, and all of these different things. And here these, the one true God begins to demonstrate his ultimate power and authority and awesomeness over all of that. So that when the children of Israel came out of there, they were fully aware of the presence of a living and active one true God. So they would be aware of who they were dealing with. There's just a couple of places where we see the fear of the Lord referenced in the New Testament. It's referenced in the Old Testament all over the place. Why? Because again, the Old Testament is part of the starting place for us as New Testament believers. Is where we get going. And we're going to look at these right quick as we are wrapping up. Acts 9.31 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Their religion had become this right. It had become these things that, it was, that there was not an act of God. Malachi, the last prophet it had been, kind of funny that it mirrors the Exodus thing, a little over 400 years since a prophet had been heard in Israel. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he's resurrected. The new covenant believers are living, and they are living in this awe of the Lord that God is active. There were miracles taking place, not at the hands of Jesus. Jesus had ascended at the hands of his disciples. That God was working through people, and there was this recognition that God was near and present and active. And it did something. First Peter 2.17 says, Show respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. This word, again, fear God, comes back to this place of reverence and awe. If we don't have that there, then we'll end up living like what Craig Groeschel calls a Christian atheist. Where you can say the right things, and you say, yes, Jesus did that, but you make your decisions as if God doesn't exist. As if he's not present, as if he's not active, as if he's not guiding you, as if there's not blessings associated with what he says is right for us to choose. Living like a Christian atheist, as if God's not there. See, the truth is, is that perfect love casts out all fear. And God does not want us interacting with him 
on the basis of fear? Do we interact with him basis on the fact that, yeah, he's not, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe. He's powerful. He's awesome. He's the ruler of the universe, but he's good. And he loves you. <clears throat> See, perfect love, perfect love even casts out this place of the fear of the Lord on this place of us interacting with him like, oh my goodness. Because it even pushes that out. It says it casts out all fear. That's what the New Testament says. It casts out all fear. And it pushes that out, even that out. Because perfect love doesn't even entertain. Doesn't even entertain going against God at all. It's like my heart is so bent towards you. You love me and I love you. And perfected love casts out all fear. It's completely a love-based relationship. Yes, he's big. Yes, he's huge. But he loves us and we love him and we interact with him on that place. We're going to look at 1 John 4 again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We're not loving him to get him to love us. We're not showing these things of devotion, not reading our Bibles. God, see how much I love you? Now love me some. He loves us. He loves us. And that's why I read his word, because he loves me. That's why I love my job and doing this. I don't do it out of obligation. I do it because he loves me and he loves you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know what? When we recognize that God loves us, he's for us, and he's active, it pushes out all those irrational fears of ours. It pushes all that out. It settles our mind. It settles it. Romans 8, and we close with this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Paul talks about being a slave to the law, which was even fear-based. Says he'd not give us a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God. Try the Holy Spirit. Remind us we're his kids, that He loves us and that He is for us, and He ultimately wants only good for us. See, God wants our love to go to the next level. And it's part of this upgrade. And this means that knowing that he cares for you and trusting that his ways are better. Some of you are here in, that, in this place of simply interacting with God from just the fear of the Lord place. And honestly, if I let my mind go there and I entertain the concept, if I was to entertain the concept of, of disregarding God, my awareness of his presence in my life and his work, yeah, I go, oh, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Not because of, I think he's going to strike me down, but because I know the destruction that exists outside of that. But on a day-in and day-out basis, I don't even entertain that. I don't even think about that. I just want to know him better and trust him more. That's what we're called to. That's what this is about. This upgrade, I want to see all of our relationship with God upgrade. And that means we're going to interact with him more on love and less on fear.
till finally love is perfected in our lives and there ain't any fear related at all. We see where these different people in the Bible face death with such seeming boldness. And they actually did it from a place of love. That's what cast out that fear. It wasn't raw courage. It was love. It was love. We want to give you the opportunity right now to embrace that love. If you haven't. I appreciate if everybody would just kind of bow your heads right now.